next one is a beautiful um, kind of paraphrase, I guess I would say, of Psalm 23 that Nicole found. And so it's new, it's new to me, but it's, a, it's easy to sing. It's like a hymn, but it's beautiful words.
one. Neither of these two ladies are here, but Joyce and Edith did this one. And so we're going to give it a go. It's the new 23rd. It's in your hymn book. I think page 53, if you prefer to have the actual music in front of you. Thank you for your singing. Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see some people that uh, some people that were here. I was only here, I think, once. Uh, in the last couple of weeks, so it's uh, it's good to be back here again, and uh, it's good to see some familiar faces. And uh, thank you so much to uh, to Bonnie and, and Nicole for that. That was uh, some great singing this morning. Our uh, call to worship uh, can be found in your bulletin. And uh, what we've been doing lately, if you if you recall, is we've been reading it collectively as uh, together. So if you want to open your bulletin. Uh, and it'll be in your call to worship, it'll be on the opening page, and it'll be reading from Psalm 115, verse 1. So let's read it together. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, 
but to thy name give glory because of thy loving kindness, because of thy truth. Amen. Let's open our service with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the blessing it is to be together here this morning as a church family. We thank you uh, for those who are able to be here this morning. We pray for those who are not able to be here with us this morning. We pray that you would give them uh, a refreshing day, a uh, time to focus upon you this morning. And uh, we just pray your blessing upon them and upon your service here this morning. We pray that you'd uh, bless the words uh, uh, from Mr. Plews. And uh, so we just thank you so much to be together here this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, this morning we're blessed to have Mr. Ross Plews come and uh, bring us God's word. So, Ross, if you want to come up, that'd be awesome. I like that Mr. part. Although that makes me feel old. <laughs> Some of you who have a little bit of gray in your hair, you might recognize that uh, feeling. Well, it's good to be back again, obviously. Uh, glad to be here today. And I guarantee you, by the end of this service, you'll know Psalm 23 inside and out. Uh, because we'll be going over it uh, so much this morning that uh, it will just permeate your heart and mind today. I was sitting in Tim Hortons a while back, no surprise for some of you that know me. And uh, as I was sitting there, uh, you know what it's like, right? The tables are fairly close, although with COVID we've separated a little bit more. But tables were for fairly close there. And you can kind of, if you let yourself drift, you can hear the conversations. I know it's not nice, shouldn't do that. But every once in a while, you're kind of drawn to the table where there's a conversation going on, right? And in this one particular day, I was sitting there, I overheard this uh, two gentlemen talking, and I could tell that the one fellow was, he looked like he was really in distress. He, he just had that countenance about him that looked, he was just really in distress. And I overheard him say this, I feel like I'm crawling in the desert, and the only hope I see feels like a mirage. I just sat there dumbfounded for a second. I was thinking to myself, wow, I sure hope the guy that's talking to him can give him some direction, give him some hope. But I've heard this many other times before, just stated in different ways, especially, you know, having a, a counseling practice, hearing people talk about some of the things that are going on in their world, in their family, in their communities, and so on. There's this sense that we sometimes feel like we're walking in a wilderness experience. There's a dryness. Uh, of course, driving here today and looking at the crops, uh, you know, this hot weather and everything, we just feel... This dryness that's kind of coming over us. And sometimes the pressures in our world get so intense that we just kind of withdraw or we don't face it. We have coping mechanisms that kick in, etc., etc. We have family pressures, community pressures, work pressures. Sometimes we just feel like we can't cope and we're about to crack at any moment or at least have a burnout or a mild nervous breakdown. Well, I love the scriptures, and the good news about the scriptures is it often speaks about people who are in that same place. The Bible is made up of characters who, just like us, P.O.P., plain ordinary people. And the good news is that we're not alone then, because we can look to the scriptures and we can learn from people that have gone through many of the same things that we've gone through. And Psalm 23 is a great example of this. Because Psalm 23 describes a man's encounter with God in the midst of a wilderness experience. David literally was in the wilderness. But he was also in the wilderness of pressure and hunger, 
loneliness and fear and all those things that you and I experience on a regular basis. And it was in this wilderness experience that he learned a lot about his God. And I know in my own life it's been through those wilderness experiences when I've walked away at the end of it saying, God, I feel closer to you. God, I know you better as a result of this wilderness experience. But he was in the wilderness because he was a shepherd, the son of a shepherd. And he was doing his job as the youngest in the family, caring for the sheep. Now, I'm going to attempt something today that uh, I hope you catch it. I'm going to give you a bang for your buck. And I'm going to give you two sermons in one. This might be a Guinness World Book of Records. I don't know. Here's what I need you to do. As you're listening, I have four main points that really bring Psalm 23 together. But in every verse, I have a one-word statement that will tell you what that verse is really meaning. So in a sense, we've got two sermons happening all at once here. And at the end, I'm going to go through that list again for you. And then if you like it enough and you want to email me, I'll send it to you. I don't know where I got it from. I've had it for many, many years. So it came from somebody. But it's really powerful. So I'm going to try and bring the two together today and give you that two for one. So as we look at Psalm 23, I found four things in there that were really important to me. I saw God in the midst of Psalm 23 as my shepherd, as my counselor, as my friend, and as my God. And then we'll link one-word statements to every verse of Psalm 23. A strange approach, but let's give it a try. So just listen to me as I read Psalm 23 from the NIV. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So let's walk through this together today, verse by verse, in the context of those four main points, learning one-word statements that summarize and tell us about what the author has just said. For example, in verse 1, he says, The Lord is my shepherd. Here's the one-liner. That's relationship. The Lord is my shepherd. That's relationship. Everything flows from this statement, the Lord is my shepherd. And in the song, of course, we saw, because the Lord is my shepherd, and I love that. It just brings the psalm to life, because he's my shepherd, and then the whole uh, uh, psalm unfolds after that. So in this first words that he says, the Lord is my shepherd, it's packed full of all kinds of meaning, and it really is talking about the metaphor of relationship. The Lord is my shepherd. That's relationship. And again, remember, he's the son of a shepherd. He's a shepherd himself. He understood what it meant to care for a flock of sheep. He was out there in the wilderness. And, and we read in the Bible many, many encounters that David had with those that would seek to destroy the sheep. And uh, how he showed himself to be such a strong person, especially leading up to David and Goliath's story. And so like any young shepherd, David would have developed a deep love for his animals. Um, I love watching on YouTube those videos of little, little lambs and the kids that have lambs as pets. 
Um, wow, you know, I love dogs, and I think dogs are my best friend, apart from my wife, of course. <clears throat> but um, I have to say that or I'll be in trouble. Uh, but, but that little lamb, it's so cute, and it just, you know, it just really captivates you. And uh, if you've ever been on a farm or a ranch or you've been with somebody that has the animals like that, they're so cute and they're so lovable and you become so attached to them. E even goats, but more lambs, right? And so here's David, he's out there, he's got a heart for these little lambs. His whole world is lamb. His whole world is looking after the sheep. He fights for them. He's risking his life for them. His heart is pulsating with the realization that just as he is the shepherd, God is his shepherd, and that's relationship. And it prompts David to say the next phrase here, verse 2, I shall not want, or I do not want, that supply. So we could rephrase it and we could say, because the Lord is my shepherd, I have relationship. I have supply. Or as one translation says, I lack nothing. Because God is my shepherd, I lack nothing. And that's very powerful because you see, as David is writing this psalm now in the context, he's on the run. People were seeking to kill him. And when he writes this song, he's in the wilderness of Judah. And it appears that everything is falling apart for David as he writes psalms around this time. How is it that then he can come to this place of serenity? This place of peace. Well, this psalm tells us because he was listening to God as his shepherd. You know, there's nothing that will come into our life today that we can't handle together with God in our life as our shepherd. He's the provider. When I first came to Christ at the age of 19 out of a world of addiction, I stuck a note on my mirror and it said, God, help me to understand that there's nothing that will come into my life today that you and I can't handle together. And I was struggling, I was trying to quit things, and I was, I was needing God's strength in my life, and he came through. Psalm 34.10 says, They who seek the Lord uh, shall not be in want of any good thing. Why? Because the Lord is my shepherd. That's relationship. And that's supply as he provides for me. Notice some things that a shepherd does for his sheep. Just in passing, and we'll come back to these again. He would provide rest and refreshment for them. He would search out and lead his sheep to grassy meadows and still quiet waters. He would go after stray sheep and bring them back. He would guide them on proper paths as they walked away from danger. And when they were going through dangerous places, he would have his shepherd's rod and his staff to protect them from attack and to help discipline and guide them. He would provide for the animal's total welfare. He would be this good, loving shepherd to those who are under his care. We take that metaphor and we apply it to God and we see this very same thing for us. Because he is our shepherd, we will not want because we have a relationship with him, but also refreshment, rest and refreshment from verse 2. He makes me lie down. I like that. He makes me lie down. There have been those times when I've been so stubborn trying to do the work of God and he makes me lie down because he knows I need to be strengthened. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. That's rest. That's refreshment. He provides that for us in this busy, crazy world that we live in. 
And that's this beautiful picture of serenity and rest where the Lord would provide rest for David but also for us because he is our shepherd. And the analogy here I think is very clear if you look at sheep and you look at what sheep do and what they need. The quiet waters here are very, very important because sheep are scared very easily. And a fast-moving, roaring water would, would scare the sheep and make them nervous. But a quiet, still pool of water is this atmosphere of peace where they could graze and it was quiet and, and they were okay. And so in this wilderness experience and the turmoil and the frustration, David is telling us, even in the midst of all of this stuff in my life, God is my shepherd. I shall not want. He gives me rest. He gives me peace. He gives me what I need. And all throughout the Bible, we see where Jesus is referred to as the great shepherd. He said in John 10, 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Hebrews 13.20, our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep. Matthew 11.28, come to me, all ye or all you who are weary and heavy laden or weighed down from the intense labors, and I will give you rest. So in the midst of this wilderness experience, and this great shepherd will also give us rest and refreshment. And verse 3, he says, he restores my soul. That's healing. He refreshes my soul. That's healing. David was thinking how the shepherd is willing to go after those stray sheep, leave the 99, bring the one back, and provide restoration to that one that has gone away. Physical, physiologically, spiritual rest. And when he says, my soul, he means my life or myself. He's saying this great shepherd will restore him in his whole being. And I love that, you know, if we connect that to Psalm uh, 51. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and don't take your spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of your salvation. He that links those two together. The story's told of a little boy that uh, was born with severe complications. And the doctors didn't give him much hope to live very long and when he was five or so around that age he was in dire straits in the hospital and the doctors didn't give any hope at all that he would survive pastor loved this little boy he was visiting with this little boy as much as he could and one day as he was talking to this little boy he had a real burden for this little boy's soul and he stopped and he said to the little boy he said listen I want to teach you something he took his hand and he said, the Lord is my shepherd. And he just kept saying that to this little boy on his fingers. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. And the sad story is the little boy died. But as he was talking to the mother, the pastor heard this from her. She said, one thing really puzzles me. As he was lying there in his last Breaths were coming. He kept pointing to his finger. And the pastor received goosebumps and he said, yes, my. That little boy was communicating that the shepherd was his shepherd. And as he went into eternity, there was great joy in the pastor's heart and family. The Lord is our shepherd. What's that mean to you? It may mean that he's got to, and we'll talk about this in a minute, get his little club out and give you a knock and bring you back with the hook. 
Or it could be that you're trusting him for things. The Lord is your shepherd. Secondly, the Lord our counselor, because I really see this in Psalm 23, the second part of verse 3. It says, he guides me in the paths of righteousness. That's guidance, as I see it. And then for his name's sake, that's purpose. So he guides me in the paths of righteousness, guiding me. And for his name's sake, that's purpose. And that's all part of him counseling me on the path that I need to go. A proper path, a moral path, a path of hope, a path of freedom. And Psalm 78, 52 says, But he brought his people out like a flock. He led them like sheep through the desert. You know, if we really submit to God's will, he will guide us. And, uh, you know, somebody once said to me they were scared to follow God because they didn't know where they'd be taking. They weren't really sure they wanted to go where God wanted them to go. I've learned in my 45 years as a Christian, I know I don't look that old, but in my 45 years as a Christian, the safest place to be is in the center of God's will. No matter what it looks like, it's the safest place to be. So as a shepherd guides his sheep on the right path, and you know, you got to think about this, maybe some, you know, on the side of a hill or some cliff or something, the shepherd is guiding the sheep. He guides us, and he guides us with a purpose. You know, we sometimes say, I haven't got a clue what God is doing, but he does have a plan. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to give you a future and a hope, Jeremiah 29, 11. He has a plan for us. And sometimes we hold back in these areas of our life and we're, we're, we're hoping that God will give us the best, but we're choosing the second best. Because we don't have the faith or we don't have the vision or we don't have the trust that will help us just let go and let God work in our life. No matter how difficult it may seem, God's ways are always higher. His means is always better. And so the safest place to be is in His will. Psalm 32, 8 and 9, I love this. This is a verse God gave me when I first became a Christian. It says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. I will counsel you and watch over you. Don't be like the horse and the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they won't come to you. Willingly, listen to me, follow me, go my way. That's what he's saying here. And I'll give you freedom in the midst of that. Psalm 23, 4 says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Wow, friend, that's testing. Even though the world seems to be caving in around me and the pressures are choking me, God is still there and God has a purpose for allowing that to happen in my life. We look at the story of Job, the oldest book in the Bible. Satan appeared before God and said, hey, have you considered that servant Job of yours? He's, you know, look at him. He's so arrogant. Let me touch him and I'll show you how strong his faith is. And God said, you have a right to work in his life, to test him, but don't take his life. And then the story of Job unfolds from there where Job was taken through, well, pardon the expression, a hell on earth where he lost everything. He lost everything and he ended up sitting on a pile of of dirt and dust and ashes and dung. And he had what some commentators believe to be elephantiasis, which is an elephant-like boiling of the skin. It's hard and looks like an elephant skin and it's, it boils all over the place. That's where Job was at. And yet Job never denied his father. And he stayed true to the end and God gave him back everything, but he had to be tested. We don't like this. 
This is something we don't like in the church. We don't like this idea that there's a Father in heaven who tests us. But he does sometimes test us to prove us strong and to hold us faithful. So the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my counselor. I've got to trust him. He's going to give me the best advice. He's going to guide me the best way. But the Lord is also my friend. Psalm 23, 4. Second part says, I will fear no evil. That's protection. For you are with me. That's faithfulness. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. That's the discipline. <laughs> One teenager from uh, Bishop Lloyd's school in the church Bible study group coined this when they were studying Psalm 23. Yea, though I walk through the halls of Bishop Lloyd and am pushed into the lockers, I will not fear because your great backpack will protect me. <laughs> I thought, wow, that's very pragmatic. That's practical. That God would help you. Someone has said a friend is always there. Or a friend is someone who hangs around when everyone else walks away. Well, if that's true, God is our ultimate friend. Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's a promise we have. No matter how bad things get. No matter how dry we feel. No matter how much we can't see the hand of God at work. God is still there. Can you imagine what it was like to be a believer of Yahweh God during the intertestamental period? 400 years where God was silent. Now that's a test of one's faith in a God who you don't hear from for 400 years. Friend, his presence is so powerful. And in Hebrews 13.5 again, Jesus said, or Paul writing with, for Jesus, I will never leave you nor will I ever forsake you. The age-old problem that we face is fear. When things get bad, God, are you really there? Notice those words, the rod and the staff. I think that's important for us to look at those really quickly. A shepherd's rod was much like in the old days of an English policeman's club. You know what they would use the club for, right? The same as a baton that would be used today in extreme situations. It was made of oak, wood. It had a knob on the end. And sometimes even had something sharp driven through it. It was a powerful weapon used for protection. And no shepherd would be without it. The staff was a six foot long staff with a crook on the end. And some of you are maybe thinking, I wish I had a crook, I'd take him off the stage, exit left, right. But that's what it was used for. It was to get around the neck of the sheep and bring the sheep in. And so there, he would have this six foot long crook at the end of this staff. And he would use it as a walking stick, but also as a stick to control. Sometimes we need God in our lives to bring this imagery to us that he has to correct us. He has to guide us. And it's never with the intent of harming us. It's always with the intent that he loves us so much that he wants us to walk the right path. And he will move things around us to bring us into that path. Sometimes we maybe need a little kick in the pants, to put it colloquially, from God to get back on track. You know, uh, in 1980, I had the great joy as a young person in Bible school of going to uh, the mission field for short-term missions. And I went to the city of Hong Kong 
And there's a long story behind that in, in God's call in my life. I was originally called to, to China, to Chinese, to Hong Kong, actually. And my wife and I were missionary candidates. And there's a long story there. But while I was there... I, one evening, decided, well, I'm, I'm 25 years old, I can, I can go around and just tour the city, you know, as long as I don't get lost. Well, I got lost, sure enough, right? So it was in the train station, and it was actually the, the weekend that the mass transit system had actually just started in Hong Kong. So it was kind of a neat time to be there. And uh, I got lost. So I mustered up all the words I could think of in the, in the Chinese that I'd been studying. And I went up to this Chinese lady and I said to her, uh, Where is Kent Road? That's where I was living. And she looked at me and in perfect English said, Oh, it's over there. So, you know, you get these embarrassing moments, right? But while I was out touring, I found this one place that was fascinating. Man, the smells, the food, the market. Uh, there was life happening on this street and it was 12 o'clock at night. It was like a whole new city had opened up. And I was just having the time of my life, taking pictures, moving around. Finally, I found my way home, got home next morning, sitting around the table with the missionaries having breakfast. And I told them where I had gone. And they turned pale. And they said, you went where? I said, well, I was... That's called the walled city of Hong Kong. Even police officers avoid going there if they don't have to. Then I turned white. And I said, God, thank you for your protection. Thank you for watching over me. Because he did. Psalm 27.1 says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold in my life. Whom shall I be afraid? And that links us with Psalm 23.5. He says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. That's hope. David is talking about God's provision here. The Lord gives provisions that are infinite. He's our friend. He's our companion. And in these circumstances, he will meet all our needs. So he's the shepherd. He's the counselor. He's the friend. And let's close today with the final one. He's my God. Verse 5b says, you anoint my head with oil. That's consecration. My cup overflows. That's abundance. Anointing of oil on the head signified power. And so David is saying because his shepherd is God and he's anointed, he has power to do everything that God has called him to do. This story told of Al Hafid, who owned a large farm. And Al was a visionary. Al was a dreamer. And Al had a goal of being the richest man in the world and he wanted to travel the world and find diamonds and then become the richest man in the world. He had a vision for wealth. He had a vision for power from that wealth. Every day he woke up feeling poor and unavailable for the world around him. So he sold everything and he went on a journey around the world and he died penniless. The man who bought his farm, however, discovered one day a shiny object on the bed of the river. Turned out to be what? It's a test to see how well you're awake today. A diamond. Turns out that the farm was sitting on a diamond bed. And this man then became a rich man. And Al died in poverty. 
You know what, friends? We seek after things when everything we need is right here, right now, where we're at. David knew that in this wilderness experience. The Lord is God and everything I need is found in him. All of the power that I need to live a successful Christian life is found in him. Everything I need to walk victoriously is found in him. If I just allow his spirit to fill me and use me in every situation of my life. Psalm 46.10 says, be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. And now in verse 6, surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. That's just blessing. That's blessing. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's security. David is talking about this abundant life with meaning, life with power. And, and my favorite verse, I shared this verse a lot whenever I was trying to talk to people who, who didn't know the Lord. I would say, you know, friend, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. But Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and that you might have life more abundantly. Would you like to live that abundant life? Do you have that abundant life? You know, you ask that paradigm shift question. The thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. But why did Jesus come to give us life? Listen to this poem. It's very powerful. It's called Stay There. Lord, please get me off this emotional elevator, which carries me so swiftly from the basement of despair to the tenth floor of exhilaration and down to the basement again. I'm hoarse from shouting. My fists are blue from pounding. I'm suffocating in this dark, windowless box. And God replies, Turn and look, dear child. The door is wide open. Walk straight into my waiting arms and stay there. Turn and look, dear child. The door is wide open. Walk straight into my waiting arms and stay there. Well, everything has to come to an end. So the end of Psalm 23, verse 6. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's eternity. That's our greatest hope. You know, everything can go sideways for us, but when we die, everything goes forward for us. And the bottom line is this, when all is said and done, the most important issue for us to deal with in this life is our eternal life. Are we prepared to meet God in the hereafter? If you know Christ as your shepherd today, he is your shepherd, he is your counselor, he's your friend, and he is your God. Amen? So let's walk through the psalm one last time with my... One word statement, or it's actually two words, but for each verse. The Lord is my shepherd. That's relationship. I shall not want. That's supply. He makes me lie down in green pastures. That's rest. He leads me beside still waters. That's refreshment. He restores my soul. That's healing. He leads me in the paths of righteousness. That's guidance. For his name's sake, that's purpose. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that's testing. I will fear no evil, that's protection. For you are with me, that's faithfulness. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me, that's discipline. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, that's hope. You anoint my head with oil, that's consecration or setting apart for a holy purpose with power. My cup runs over, that's abundance. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, or loving kindness, that's blessing. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord, that's security. 
forever. That's eternity. Wow. What a gift David gave to us in Psalm 23. I hope your life will never be the same as you think about what he said today. Amen? Bless you. stand and sing together. <clears throat>
switch it up. So the next one that we're going to sing is from the hymn book and I caught Cam and Nicole unaware but Nicole's awesome. Didn't she sing that last song beautifully? We're going to end with um, Surely Goodness and Mercy. A good old hymn. I sang it with my grandma and grandpa um, but I'm sure it's in the hymn book. Surely Goodness and Mercy. It's page 45. Is that what I said?
Thank you.